Hey friends, I'm Jenny Meyer, and you're listening to the Rooted Truth Podcast, where we look at the world through a biblical lens. We talk about real life, biblical truth, and how to walk with Jesus through it all. Be sure to follow me on social at Jenny Meyer and at The Rooted Truth. Also, be sure to subscribe to the members-only, all-exclusive episodes on the Rooted Truth Podcast by going to www.therootedtruth.com. Now let's get started. Hey friends, welcome back. Um, Amy and I are here today and I'm excited for this topic today because I think it's really important to understand and it is about the power in the blood. Um, And so really, Amy, to set the stage of this conversation, blood is honestly probably one of the most important symbols of both the Old and the New Testament. Um, from the very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament, it plays a significant role um, in both, I guess, literal sense and symbolic sense. And so starting out in Genesis 4, verse 10 and 11, it says, the Lord said, what have you done? So this is after Cain killed his brother, Abel. So the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opens its mouth to receive your to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Then we see in Leviticus where it says the life is in the blood. Um, and then, you know, kind of skipping to the, to the new Testament, Hebrews nine is really a really good chapter where we see keywords such as blood sacrifice, um, covenant, right. Atonement. They appear a lot in that. And verse 22 of Hebrews nine says, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So essentially to set the stage of this, of this episode in this conversation today, my question is, what is it about blood shedding that makes it a crucial element all throughout the Bible? Why does blood have to be shed? for purification, for forgiveness of sins, for atonement, like, is there power in blood? So I thought that would kind of set the stage of kind of our discussion today. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, and it sounds like, you know, it sounds like when you talk about blood, you're like, ah, but Mm -hmm. it really is a deeper, not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Right. And I think what Jenny and I want to kind of lay out is not only the, the godly aspects of what this idea of the shedding of blood means, but also kind of give us an insight to how the world spins it, how the enemy utilizes it to just give us a a full context of why this is so important. Um, Not only in our faith, but just understanding the concepts of, of blood and what that does and why the enemy is utilizing it in a way that is, you know, perverted from what God had intended. So yeah. And this conversation kind of stemmed from a, a podcast that you did not too long ago um, and touching on some of these points. And so when we were talking about it, like just kind of going a little bit deeper, we're like, yeah, you know, maybe we kind of do like just expand on that um, yeah. and go a little deeper. But I mean, if you're looking at it figuratively, blood represents what death, sin, separation, um, when you're looking at it in, in the Bible. Um, but then also it represents new life restitution, reconciliation, um, with what Jesus did on the cross and shedding his blood for us. And, you know, sin, I think a lot of times is put in reference to like stain, I guess Mm -hmm. is the best way to put that, like the stain of blood 
Yeah. We attribute sin to like kind of being like that. Um, and so, but then Jesus's blood is what wash washes away that sin stain. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, I remember being a kid and just like, you know, you'd sing those old hymns. I don't know if you guys remember them, but like nothing but the blood of Jesus, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. can wash away my sin. And you think about for me, when I was younger, growing up in the church, I was like, that just is weird. Like, yeah. I don't understand that. But as you grow in your faith and and now, you know, just kind of maturing, um, you realize like without this bloodshed, there is no propitiation, right? There is no appeasement for God the Father because there has to be this, this, this propitiation is what the Bible calls it, um, of sin, this atonement, because that appeases God the Father. That is what what reconciles us, what what is our remission of sins. And you know, um when you start to understand how valuable and precious the innocent blood of Jesus was, it really starts to just kind of resonate with you in your faith too. Like, wouldn't you agree? I mean, mm-hmm. did you ever kind of like struggle with what that meant like in your faith? Well, yeah, cuz I remember like as a kid of like you want to be white as snow. Those words always stood out to me. And I don't know if maybe I heard it in Sunday school or, you know, like you want to be white as snow, but the only thing that can get you there is blood. And so you kind of wrestle with like, wait a second, blood's red, you know, in a child's mind, you're like, blood's red. So how does that make me white as snow? Um, But that's Mm -hmm. the cool thing about, about Jesus and, and, you know, the spiritual journey of understanding, like what he really, really did. And I mean, honestly, going back to the old Testament, I'm just thinking of, um, so we did the covenant study. I believe it was the beginning of the year. And and we talked about, um, all like the major covenants of the Bible, but in the old Testament, you have the day of atonement. So once a year, the people, priest could go in, the high priest could go in and offer the blood um, of a goat on the the mercy seat. So you have the Ark of the Covenant and it would he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. So that's what would then forgive Israel of their sins for another year. And ultimately they understood. So if you take the Israelites or even you can call them the Hebrews before they were named Israel, they understood that the soul or the life was in the blood because in so Leviticus 1711 says for the life, which can be translated to soul of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls upon the altar for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And then a few verses Later in, in verse 14, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Therefore, I have told the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any living thing because the life of all flesh is in its blood. So whoever eats, it must be cut off. Um, again, you know, we see this in Genesis, but you shall not, this is when God was giving, you know, you know, like basically telling them you don't get to eat anything with blood in it. You shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. So you have this like connection of blood to life or blood to soul. We see in Deuteronomy 12, 23 as well, only be sure not to eat the blood because the blood is the life and you must not eat the life with the meat. So 
I mean, that's kind of the Old Testament. It it meant something to them. Blood equaled life to right. them. Right. Exactly. It it absolutely did. And and that was the tutor, right? To prepare us for the coming of Jesus Christ, the one and only lamb, the one and only pure sacrifice. Yep. And you think about it like simplistically, like, like let's look at it simplistically. Okay. Like Jesus was an innocent man, but he was God in the flesh. Okay. So fully human fully God, right? And he had to take that on to reconcile us, pay our ransom, wash away our sin, um, you know, forgive us, free us, all these things, just so we would have a way back to God. When you start to think about that, he didn't do anything to deserve the death that he willingly chose. I mean, I get the chills even saying that. That is our God who we serve. And so when you think about this, yeah, in the beginning, you're like, okay, why well, why did God, you know, put this lamb, this innocent lamb to be shed just to appease him? Well, because he was preparing the way for the one and only sacrifice that would take it away forever for the whole world. And if you think about for those of you that have a child, think of an innocent young boy. What did he deserve to be put to death like that? You would never put an innocent child to death like that, let alone an innocent man to death, right? And here is our God, fully human, fully God, coming to do this for us. That is love. And we weren't even born yet. We we weren't even, we didn't even, you know, we weren't even there to like accept it. Like he did it before we even were born, right? Like that's the crazy part. And I mean, I kind of get like fired up about this because I feel like, We've got to fully understand what this blood means, mm-hmm. not only for our faith and our life, but for our authority yeah. um, against the enemy. And I think we'll probably get into that a little bit today. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, that's so good. And I mean, you think about it, they understood. Like, that's why I love, like, I mean, this is on a totally different topic, but um, Dr. Michael Heiser's book, um, Reversing Hormone. That mm-hmm. he he talks about what the New Testament apostles and disciples, what they believed, like their worldview, you know, in understanding all of this, which I think we are so far removed from of truly okay. understanding. So if you understand like those the the people of Jesus's day knew mm-hmm. that life is in the blood. They knew mm-hmm. that. They knew that to their core. They knew and understood that. They knew that once a year, blood had to be shed for forgiveness of sins. Right. And so this idea of the life is in the blood is carried over to the new Testament, but it's this idea of justification, right? It was equivalent to like, I guess, you know, you remove life, but then it also gives life. Yeah. So, so, you know, in the sacrifice that removed that life of the sacrifice, Mm-hmm. but then it gave life to them when it was sprinkled on the mercy mm-hmm. seat. So they understood that. So in John six, um, verse 53, it says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the son of man, you have no life in you. Whoever right. eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. They knew what that meant. They understood right. that. Whereas we read that and we're like, well, that's, that's weird, right? That's weird. Right. And, you know, to your point, Jenny, talking on that worldview of those, those first century 
uh, and even second century Jews, right. Mm -hmm. Who are new converts. They, and, and this is what Jesus said in his ministry, do not think physically, think spiritually. Yep. And so even in that verse right there, you're like, ew, eat his blood, blah, blah, blah. Not, not you, but people will say that. They're like, why would I do that? Because you're thinking physically and God is saying, I'm a spirit. You need to worship me in spirit and in truth. And so this is where we have a disconnect. And I think a lot of us Christians do. We have a disconnect because we're thinking on a physical plane. Yeah. And even and those early early Jews and early Christians, they weren't necessarily thinking that way. They were thinking spiritually, right? Many times they had a better idea of of that than than we do in this kind of 2023, right? We're kind of like everything's physically driven. Every everything's visually driven and auditorily driven. We're not driven by our spirit. And this is what God's imploring us to do yeah. is my blood is spiritual. Yes, it brings physical life, but to your point, it brings a spiritual life yeah. that you cannot have apart from me. Sanctifies you, it justifies you, it frees you. Yeah. And it's it's a deep concept. It's it deep. Is. It yeah. is. And it's amazing when you truly grasp it. And I really yes. don't think we can fully, fully grasp it like until he returns, like to add to see that, to see that eternal life. Um, yeah. when I was kind of preparing for this, this episode, talking about this topic, I found a really good article on, um, hermeneutics stack, stack exchange. I really like that site. I like, um, what's on there. Um, and it's just different people's kind of thought processes and opinions. Um, but I want to read this. It's not very long, but I thought that it would, it'd be really good insight. So Genesis two seventeen says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in that day thou eatest, therefore thou shalt surely die. That's the King James. I don't read the King James that often, so it's a little hard for me to get that. Um, but it says, from the beginning, we learned that the penalty of sin is death. Adam and Eve ate the fruit, but never died on the spot physically. Why is that, right? This is talking about the spiritual side that you just brought up, Amy. Um, it says, the reason is everything happens in the spiritual first then is made manifest in the physical. We first die spiritually or in the eye of God whenever we sin. So Ephesians 2, um, starting in verse one, it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins. Okay. So we're dead spiritually in our sins. Then it right. goes on to say, after we have understood the concept of death, let's go to reconciliation. As Leviticus says, life is in the blood of an animal. It means the blood gives life because when we sin, we become spiritually dead. We need new blood to renew our life. So why animal blood? When God looks at the sinner, he sees him dead because of sin. Now, in order to bring him back to life, blood from a sin sinless human must be used to cleanse the sinner and make him alive. But who mm. can do that among men? So we have Psalm 53 starting in verse two. So verse two and three says, God has looked down from heaven upon, upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no good no one who does good, not even one. Okay. So there was no one among humans who was sinless to shed their blood, to cleanse it and give life back. So now because humans sinned and blood is the only thing that can bring us back to life, God instituted this animal sacrifice. Why? 
animals are sinless. Their blood is always spiritually clean. Um, it goes on to say, there's a few more paragraphs saying, hang, hang in there with me. When yeah. animal blood is offered as substitute for sins, the animal dies because blood has been taken out of it. In other words, life has been removed. The animal wow. dies on behalf of sinners while its blood is used to bring back life to those who are dead in their sin. So at this mm -hmm. stage, God looks at the sinner. He doesn't see the dead. Instead, he sees life in them through the blood of the animal. This is why the blood didn't cleanse, but only covered the sins for a period of time. How? Because mm -hmm. once the animal dies, it never comes back to life again. This means that the blood will only cover the sinner for as long as there's life in the blood. The blood will eventually lose its life and the sinner is again back with sins. That's why animal sacrifice had to be offered periodically for it only covered for a period of its life. Come Jesus, any human to atone for sins had to be pure blameless without sin, because no human could atone for sinners. God himself had to take human had to take human form and offer his life for us. He was sinless. Hence his blood became a perfect sacrifice for our sins in his blood is everlasting life because unlike animals, he died af and after three days, he came back to life. His blood was still alive when he was resurrected. That's why no need for another sacrifice. His blood is still with life for as long as he lives. That's how death is defeated. When one is in Christ, they are covered by the blood of Jesus. Hence, death has no power over them. You can now apply this concept to other scenarios like the blood of Abel. Um, by, by the way, once you understand this concept, you will view marriage very differently, which I thought that was really interesting to throw in there. Um, and it will make sense to you why marriage is the covenant and why no divorce until death. So he kind of wraps that's that deep. up with that. Isn't that like, I just thought that yeah. was really good. I'm like, I cannot paraphrase that. I wanted to read it. Um, yeah. That makes so much sense. Right? It does. Wow. That, that gave me the chills because, okay, you guys don't zone out right now. Take this, take this. Okay. What did Jenny just read? The spiritual drives the physical. We cannot separate the two. We can't, even though we can't see the spiritual realm because we have been, you know, that's closed off to us, albeit some people try to invoke that. We know that, but we can feel the effects of the spiritual. We have got to get into our minds if we want to mature as Christians, what this means in our life, like the blood of Jesus, how that, how he is alive, that that blood never, never left, so to speak, right, is what you're saying. Um, that blood allows us to overcome the enemy. And, you know, when you read Revelation 12, 11, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And so, wow, this is just so, I mean, I'm like, my mind's blown because yeah. I, it just resonates and just solidifies and matures what God has planted in the seed of my heart. Like, and I'm hope that I'm hoping that this is doing that that for you. How huge this idea of the blood is, and what Jesus really did is so much more. And we have so much more authority when we claim and plead that blood over our lives. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think mm -hmm. we even get it. We, because, don't, we don't get it. Yeah, because the blood is alive. Yes, that that like that was a huge aha mm -hmm. moment for me because I'm like, okay, so 
Why did that replace animal sacrifice? Because the animal blood eventually died. It, it covered the sins for while it was still alive, you know, a sinless, but now with Jesus, like the blood w- never died. Right. That, and so it's a continual renewing in the blood of Jesus. Continual renewing. Yeah. And that's a good point because um, we've touched on all the facets of what the blood does, um, you know, freedom, overcoming the enemy, right? Justification. And when we come to know the Lord, the Bible says that we are justified by his blood. Mm-hmm. That is a propitiation, right? Like we are, we are not guilty. We are esteemed justified before our maker because yeah. of that blood. But there's still a, a sanctification and a renewing, like you were saying, and we use that blood and we use that authority that we have to continue on this process. Yeah. And, um, and that's the part I think a lot of Christians like, and I know I'm kind of going off tangent, but I'll bring it back to the main point. I think a lot of us are like, well, God delivered me when I came to know him. The only thing he delivered you from was condemnation, mm-hmm. was from hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he didn't deliver you from every hang up and thought and yeah. and whatever. And you, that doesn't happen when you come to know the Lord. Sometimes things break immediately, yeah. but that's the part where you use the blood in sanctification as you grow in Christ. And, you know, that's that part where we continually become more like him. Um, And I wanted to touch on that because I think that, you know, even in Hebrews 13, it says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify or make holy or set apart or refine the people through his own blood. So this interim that we're in, we also use his blood to sanctify us because we know the power that it has. And that sometimes means casting down high imaginations by his blood, you know? Um, I want to add a really quick point, sorry. And then um, there was a, a YouTube video that ties to this point. There was a a witch who said that she would cast spells on Christians and she knew who were the true Christians and who weren't. But she mm-hmm. said she would see in the spirit and there were certain Christians where she'd go and she'd see the blood of Christ all over them and wow. she would turn and flee. And that's what wow. we're talking about. But those are the ones walking out and abiding in him every day. So go ahead. Jenny. Wow. No, that's, that's like, that's mm-hmm. intense. Wow. It is. Like, it makes you wonder, you know, like, what do we as believers actually look like in the spirit? Yeah. When we're covered in the blood. Right. And when we're standing in that, um, in that forgiveness and authority that we have in Jesus. But what I was going to say, you know, you're kind of talking about like essentially this courtroom scene, right. Where we are the father is, is the judge and Jesus is our advocate. He is, Mm -hmm. you know, the one, basically our lawyer, let's put it in like terms that we understand. And, you know, we have all of these things that we have done. We've, we failed left and right. We have all of these sins and Jesus is there saying, no, this is, this has already been paid for. Like think about the double jeopardy like law, right? If you are already tried for something you cannot be tried for it again. If you already paid the price for something, you can't, that, that can't come back. And Jesus is saying, I already paid this price. You can't charge, you can't charge her for these things because the price has already been paid in my blood, which is still alive. 
So it continued, like there is no separation from that. It is this continuation because the blood is alive. I think in, in this conversation and just preparing for this, I think we both are like coming to the realization, like of like that aha, like the blood is still alive. It is continual, like forgiveness. Now, does that give us an excuse to go live in sin on purpose? No, that breaks the father's heart. Right. So I, I think that like just understanding, like, you know, you picture this courtroom scene, Mm -hmm. he Mm -hmm. is our advocate. And he already yeah. paid the price for us. So we can't be charged. Right. Oh, that's good. You're right. Like you and I both are like fired up because the praise God. Thank you, Lord. Cause it's like, you get these realizations and this is like, there's a couple of things I want to say. Number one, this is what's so beautiful, beautiful about the walk of Christ, right? Like, although we've been Christians for so long, God still reveals things to us. If we're humble, and we're malleable, like the clay in the potter's hand, he reveals these little nuggets of just amazingness. And I'm so thankful for that. But you brought up the courtroom scene. And I, I really hope people really hear this because when we don't understand the way God has created our world, And the legal systems that are in play, if God is our righteous judge and Jesus is our lawyer, our advocate, he has stood in our place and paid the bail for us. The door to the prison is wide open. We just have to accept him and walk out, right? Like there's nothing we can do except believe in him, love him, obey him. Okay. Um, But if we don't understand that God is not only allowed, um, allowed the righteous, right? He he allows us that freedom to forgive, to, I mean, confess our sins and he forgives yeah. us, but he, but there's also that flip side. And this is the part that a lot of Christians don't understand. So don't miss this. You guys, there is legalities on the enemy's side too. Yep. There are legal rights to them accessing you. Now that can look from you opening a door when you were a child, maybe cursing God or uh, a family iniquity that's passed down generationally. Um, and this is that deliverance part. This is the sanctification that the blood allows you to do. But if you don't do it and apply it and understand it, that's why some of us still live in in bondage because we're not we're not getting it in a deeper way. So kind of wrapping that part up, like this idea of a legal system, that's why the Bible talks in legal terms. Because God is our righteous judge and he has laid it out um, in such a way where, you know, there's legal rights on both sides. There's legal things that have to take place, right? Yep. I love that. I love that. that. And just, yeah, it totally does. Because you, I think we have to look at our own lives too. And, and if you can't see it, you need to ask, ask the Lord, like, Hey, father, where do I have open doors that I'm allowing the enemy in. So if you hear that phrase, open doors in your life, that is what it's referring to. It's 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 access to the enemy to come and attack you. I'm not saying to come right. like possess you and you know pull you away from we will never be separated from from the love of God, right? But where do you have open doors that is legal access, legal rights for the enemy to come in and mess with you? Right. Is, is it what you watch on TV? Is it Hey, you're, you're drinking every night, even you having a glass of wine or, you know, to, to quote unquote, calm down and ease the stress. Right. We're not supposed to do that. I'm not saying drinking, like you cannot have a drink. Um, but 
are you taking it to the extreme? Are you going out and partying on Saturday nights and then going to church Sunday, you know, and playing this game of like, you know, living in one foot in the world that's open doors for the enemy to come in. And it's, he has legal rights and legal access when we allow that to happen. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, cause that kind of leads into just the flip side of what the blood does in, you know, with the occult and with the, those that are, you know, accessing it for perverted, inverted reasons. And I love that because I think that this is a missing piece that met many of us, myself included, really didn't understand growing up. Nobody taught me, Hey, you might have some areas in your life that the enemy has a stronghold or a foothold or a little little hook in you, you know, like think of a door like when it's really cold outside and you can feel the wind coming in because it's so cold and you're like, oh my gosh, it came in through that little crack in the door or that little crack in the window and how cold that cold is when it pierces you. Think of that in the spiritual. If there's a little opening, a little crack, a little fracture, that's where the enemy is slipping in to antagonize and harass you. And this is why people get so frustrated. Like I'm praying, I'm fasting, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Yes, don't stop doing that. But you have to access everything that the Lord has made available to you. And it's an investigative process with the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we can talk more on that or email Jenny and I personally and ask us, you know, hey, I want to know more about that. But, um, and maybe we even do a podcast about it, but you know, I mean, kind of going, what I was trying to lead to was going into that other side and how the enemy takes the life of the blood and uses it for perverted reasons. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point. You know, I, I know that you do talk a lot about that. Like you have to ask Jesus to come into that crack yeah. and fill that. And, and I, that door now that is so good. So good because only because we cool. have a we have a front door and there is like right on the bottom left like there's this where it doesn't seal correctly and yeah. so and we've just been putting it off to like get it fixed and all of that but so lately cuz it's cold right now we've been putting a blanket up at night otherwise cuz the thermostat's right there the heat will just run like constantly and then i'm yeah. super hot like at night and can't sleep uh, right. because of that little crack, crack. like that is so good that's so good So that rang true to you. And, and, you know, maybe we just, let's just say this one thing people like, okay, how do I do it? How do I do it? Go back to the legalities. This is why you invoking your self-will and saying it intentionally is so important. You guys, you have to identify it and recognize it so you can then renounce it and, and break it, break it like a cord, like a, like a tethering like an opening, like a fracture, whatever it is, whatever you want to envision the enemy has in your life, right? Like a little crack, Jenny said. Um, you say, you know, I I renounce that. I break that. I I I cast that down. That's what 2 Corinthians says about high imaginations and these strongholds. Whatever your verbiage is, you intentionally break that in your life and you disagree with it. Imagine you're in a court of law and you're ripping up a legal document. I no longer am tethered to that and bound by that in Jesus' name. I invite you, Jesus, into that crack, that hurt, that emotion, that trauma that I've been holding on for far too long. And I ask that your blood is over that wound. That's how you do it. Yeah. And it's, but it, it's the intentionality, guys. It's the legal rights that the enemy has because you invoked at one point in your life 
free will. Yeah. So does that make sense, Jenny? Like, do you think that is explained clear? Okay. Yep. Yep. No, I think that's good. That's good. So then going back to the blood, the the life in the blood, the power in the blood, where does the enemy take this? Due to the graphic nature of the rest of this conversation, you can listen to the remainder of this episode on the members podcast. Head over to therootedtruth.com slash podcast and become a member. The full episode is up now.